I am I am getting over a cold. Mm. I'm sorry. I am skillfully dodging my not getting sick for the Pro Tour, despite having a three foot tall disease vector uh, living living amongst me. A risk factor for sure. He's it, it's getting better. He's he's learning how to fight infection. My wife isn't, but <laughs> that's okay. Well, it's prime for him to learn how to fight infection because it's like you know but he's got to do it so he can become the the most immune he could be. He's gonna be, he's gonna be in class with a bunch of other disease vectors forever. He's got to get used to that. I expect it starts getting really dangerous around like kindergarten ish. I don't think it will be worse. Like. Are, are kindergartners more germy than one-year-olds? Like, probably not. I feel like they're in a school with more kids at that point. That's true. They, 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 are, they are in a place with more kids. I don't know. We'll see. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 280 of the MTG Grindcast the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. And we are also joined today by the self-proclaimed spikiest player in at least all of Central North Carolina at this exact moment. Nick Sherilla, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's an honor to be the spikiest player <laughs> for exactly right now before the next Pro Tour where the title may be taken. By literally anyone else who qualifies. You got the opportunity to string together a single invite from this tournament. You could you could qualify for one more. Yeah, it's so I, I need a nine seven to qualify for the next one. Which I don't know, man. I win like somewhere near fifty percent of my games in how like in in-house testing against other people qualified. Yeah. It is very conceivable that I could also win fifty two percent or whatever you need to get a nine seven. Well, 9-7 is more than 52%. That's like almost 60, right? Uh, I don't know. 9 out of 16. 56%. I can do it. I believe in myself. I believe in you too. There's no reason you can't do that. I guess to talk about like my mentality going into it, it's kind of weird because I both feel like very prepared and very on top of my game in a way that I often don't because I'm preparing with a bunch of... Uh, I'm playing with Team Sewer Rats, a bunch of other Pro Tour qualified players, a bunch of them played in Worlds. Some of them uh, were like in the MPL. And I'm like doing well there. And so I definitely feel like I can hang. But also, I don't know. I'm not the main character. I really don't feel like the main character. All the other people are also very good. And so basically the entire range of like... Top eighting to just like losing four to five matches in a row and being out feels available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it, all of it could happen. And, you know, like yeah. this is where we're at. Well, I guess why don't we just start talking about your team and then just sort of like the structure of your testing process a little bit before we get into the specifics of the pioneer format and the limited format coming up. So what, you know, how, how has your prep process been going? Cause this is the first PT in a long time. And it's, it's nice to hear about like getting back into the, the PT prep process. Yeah. So Gavin Thompson put out a Twitter post saying that uh, his team was looking for just like people who will qualify for the pro tour, um, who are like willing to put in time. I reached out to him. Ended up getting put on the team. 
with a lot of international players. That was a little tricky. Uh, like, for example, we had the last like big meeting about the deck we're playing with like the five or so of us that are playing the deck. And we scheduled it at 8 p.m., which was right after I put my son to bed and after one of the other guys dropped his son off at daycare. Because <laughs> um, he's somewhere in Asia. That's definitely been a bit troublesome, but we we did a bunch of uh, testing cockatrice with the new cards um, because some of them we expect to be pretty impactful. The the deck I'm playing is a bring to light like mid range deck that gets a, a lot of power from the new Elisnorn. Hmm. Um, we can I, I guess probably talk about that later. But so we had to do a lot of testing on cockatrice for that, and then also for limited because the set was released online like uh, last Tuesday. So it's only online for like nine days before the tournament, yeah. which is not very much time to learn things. My group and a bunch, like there was like discord of, I don't know, 40 some people, all, all of whom were qualified and would just try to fire drafts on some third party re- website and then play the games out on Cockatrice, mm-hmm. um, which is a little scuffed, but worked fine. There was a lot of playing one to two rounds and then people would just leave which was not the best, but still, <laughs> still, still got, still got some games in. So pretty early on into the testing process, Lucas, one of my teammates brought this um, five color bring to light deck to us and said, what his friends have been working on it. He thought it was strong. So we started digging into it. And I think it's very good. As some of the listeners may or may not know, I qualified for this pro tour playing the uh, uh, Enchanties, the four color enigmatic deck. And I think this deck meaningfully improves on that deck in a lot of ways. That deck really suffered from having a bunch of two mana cyclers that you basically have to play in the early game because otherwise when you play your enigmatic, it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But then also you have a lot of tap lands and you have to impact the board because other people are doing stuff. So getting all of that to work in a cohesive way was really hard. Whereas this deck is playing Sylvan Carried because we're not playing Enigmatic Incarnations. So we don't need all the two mana cyclers, which are not very good cards. We're playing Sylvan Carried instead, which both fixes your mana and acts as acceleration to your bigger spells. Uh, still playing Four Fable of the Mirror Breaker because that card is just the best card in the format and you should probably try to play it. Playing four copies of Omnath, which is not really a card that has much of a pioneer home, but I think it's really good here. It is good with Elisnord. You both draw two cards and you get both the first two triggers on every land. So that's a lot. And we also have the full four Fable uh, Fable Passage to yeah. also juice the Omnath. And there's a copy of um, Escape to the Wilds to bring to light four, which gives you an extra land drop. It's also very good with Omnath. And then the, the rest of the deck is pretty similar to Enigmatic. We have uh, four Chain to the Rocks, four... Leyline Binding, the same the same really good removal suite that Enigmatic has access to. There's a couple other bullets. There's an Extinction Event and a Selfless Glyph Weaver, which the backside of that card, when you bring to light for it, you choose a creature and destroy all, all other creatures and Planeswalkers. So it's like a very powerful Wrath. And Sylvan Carried is basically unkillable. So you often have a creature either there or from your uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. There's a Hostage Taker for just sort of being an extra mid-range card and something good to copy with the backside of Fable because we don't have uh, that many targets. Slaughter Games for combo decks. It looks like 
the Lotus Field decks are mostly playing one win condition. If they are not, the matchup gets a lot worse. <laughs> but if they are only playing one win condition in the main deck, the matchup's pretty good because you can just hard mulligan, just slaughter games, slaughter games them, and just uh, win sure. from there. And then a, a, a Valky to, to tutor for a Planeswalker when you just want like some generic big thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, sounds like a, you know, a version of the like pioneer mid-range deck that is bigger than Rakdos and outvalues it and, and has enough tools that it doesn't die to its aggression. And then you need to find solutions for the other matchups in your like toolbox, basically. Yeah, basically. It's it's a lot. It, it's really close to the to the, the, the Niv to Light deck. Mm-hmm. The problem with that deck is Niv just doesn't find any of the good cards anymore. Like they printed Fable and they printed Leyline Binding. And now like you don't want to have more removal than that, but you really want your Niv Mystic to find removal because, you know, people are trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. And so this is uh, our approach to try to subvert that. And also uh, Elishnorn is really good at stopping a good amount of the aggressive decks in the format. Like a problem you run into against specifically mono white is you sort of trait you like kill whatever you can and then you try to stabilize with a creature and then they brutal cathal your creature and then they just kill you. And you're like, well that that sucked. But with Elishnorn, like none of the none of those creatures work. Um if they play Ossification, that doesn't work. If they Thali's play Thali's Lieutenant, Lieutenant doesn't work. that doesn't yeah. work. Just like nothing works. That's a four seven. It's so big. Like <laughs> How is anybody going to kill a 4-7? No, I have been really impressed by it in multiple forms. I played against it in Standard. It's been, like, a huge beating in Standard. I watched Jarvis playing that kind of meme 80-card No Yorion. Hey, that deck's sick. Modern deck. It's just good. Like, <laughs> obviously, it doesn't need to be 80 cards, but probably has to be more than 60, or you can't actually fit your, like, Eladomri's Call stuff in it. But Elish Norn comes down, and then all of your cards are completely broken, and nothing in modern can kill Elish Norn. Yeah, and a lot of your opponent's cards just don't work. Like, yeah. E- ETBs are very powerful, so you want to put a lot of them in your deck. Yeah, that that is the thing I think almost everyone overlooked when evaluating Elish Norn during, like, preview season. Like, so many times I heard the, why would you, like, get Elish Norn where you can just play two of a thing? It's just, well, Elish Norn does other stuff. Yeah, I mean, what are the <laughs> best cards from Modern Horizons too? Solitude, Fury, Endurance, Grief, Subtle. Like, and it, it, it also blocks Ragavan. Maybe not on time, but it does get in there. <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> not sure that counts, but very relevantly to the Ragavan matchups, it has seven toughness and doesn't die to Unholy Heat. So big. So yeah, I think Elish Norn is one that we're going to be seeing in a bunch of formats for a while. Yeah, and it also like works really nicely with Bring Delight because there is a limit on the number of like five mana four sevens you want to put in your deck. It's like not great against Rakdos because they just like kill it. They have actual removal spells that kill. Yeah, they have removal yeah. and like don't have any ETBs because uh, it doesn't interact with sagas really, mm-hmm. or not really, but it doesn't at all. And so it's it's nice like you can bring to light for it, so you have just the one copy that you need. And as opposed to the enigmatic decks that are also playing it, in order to get it there, you have to have both the the fires of invention and the enigmatic, which is like a lot, you know. I mean, that's you your nut draw in those cards. decks. Like you, right. you yeah. you're doing stuff regardless of what you're getting if you go fires incarnation. Yeah, my deck also is not a Yorion deck. It's a Gigantha deck, and Gigantha's been really good. It's really good with with Omnath because uh, companions are good with Omnath. 
because Omnath makes mana. And also, it's so big. <laughs> it's the I, I think the Gruul matchup would be actively bad if Gigantha wasn't just bigger than all of their creatures. You know, if, as long as you deal with their big stuff, like it could easily block like two or th- hold off two or three things to make sure if you're even like flooding out a little bit, you'll you'll get there. Sure. Sounds cool. Sound and and you've been happy with your results and testing with it. How much of your team is on this deck? Often all the decks we played, most the most people are on this, but it's like five out of twenty. Sure. I think the the general consensus within the team is there's a lot of decks in Pioneer. A lot of them are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pick the one you like the most and tune it and have good plans. But like nobody was really interested in debating the merits of. How much better is red, black, than green, than mono white? Like they're all just sort of. Right. No, Nobody believes you're getting massive deck advantage or giving up a ton of equity by picking like one, the wrong one of the top four decks or anything like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what everyone's playing. Like some, some people are still like waffling a bit. And uh, like, I think some people might play sack. Some people might play Lotus Field. Uh, I know some people play mono white, Rakdos, green. It's just like kind of all over them which was kind of nice because you can play against those people with your deck to try to like solidify plans and there's like enough people on each one that you know you can like bounce ideas off each other and it's it's very helpful to be playing against somebody who is invested in that deck so you're not just playing against a stock version of the deck with like a a b minus sideboard plan or whatever like somebody who's actually given it thought and knows like oh i want to take these cards these non-obvious cards out in this matchup or whatever yeah i think the, the Rakdos deck especially changed a ton during testing. I think similarly to what happened in like general population, like adding Bankbuster was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, switching up your sweepers to make you better against Angels. I really hope I play against Angels. Angels also just lose to Dallas North. They have so many bad flyers. <laughs> yeah, when you're no longer like gaining life off of your creatures entering the battlefield or any of the things that you're counting on happening when you have all your like yeah and unlike mono white they can't cheese you because all their cards cost three mana they just mm-hmm. like don't have the ability to like yeah, you're go just gonna them. get elish yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> they just can't do anything about it I, th- I guess they have to be on like the four archon sideboard plan or something like that and turn off your bring delight i guess yeah you can, they can do that they can also have um uh Verdane's pretty good sure yeah that makes sense yeah Redan, I think, is better because uh, it also can't get Leyline Binding. But mm. I don't know. Rending Valley. Pachow. The the Spirits matchup is not very good. And my my plan for that is I have two Rending Volleys and just hope it doesn't show up. I don't know. <laughs> two, two Rending you Volleys and, and a lot of hope in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's there's like there's so many decks in Pioneer. I don't I don't think you can really bring a deck that's good against all of them. And there were like the upper echelon of Gruel, White, Lotus Field, Red, Black, and Green. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure we had like reasonable matchups against all of those. But then the, you know, 10 or so tier two decks, like if you lose to all of them, that's bad, but it's fine. I don't know. The Spirits players got me, they got me. Sure. 
Um, well, why don't we run through like the the major archetypes and just like how y'all felt about their positioning going in and then sort of any changes or evolution of those decks in recent days. Uh, not a ton of all will be one cards making a huge splash in Pioneer, although I know Elish Norn is definitely good, but other stuff is kind of marginal upgrades or, or not super existent. But, you know, starting with Rakdos, yeah, one of the things that we have seen recently is just the adoption of Reckoner Bankbuster, which does kind of this dual role of being a card draw engine in you know, mirrors and, and other grindy matchups, but also actually making you kill faster because it just effectively gives your creatures haste and starts hitting for four really early on in matchups like Lotus Field in particular is like one of the big ones where that is a huge upgrade for the deck. I don't know what what else y'all thought about Rakdos going, going into this, but I, I would love to hear. Yeah, so basically Rakdos was the deck we expected to be the most popular. It was... Basically, everyone's fallback for a long time. Of if, if we can't figure it out, you know, just play Rakdos. I think playing, what's the sweeper that, that, that kills all, uh, Ritual of Soot. I think playing Ritual of Soot is really important because the people play Angels, people play Gruul. Um, people, I guess, are now playing this Elves deck, maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to have a sweeper that's consistent against all of those decks. Whereas Extinction Event's really only good versus green. Like, it's it's okay, Versus the other aggro decks, right. but but you're playing it because of the utility against green, and then it also is a sweeper. Yeah, and you really feel the they have two drops and three drops. Oh no, <laughs> this is so bad for me. <laughs> so there's that. We were trying Meatook Massacre for a while, mm -hmm. which was pretty good, but I think just ended up being a bit expensive. So we 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 put that one down. Uh, switching the the. Misery Shadows over the Bankbusters, but I think everyone else has done that. That's not particularly new or exciting. The issue for me was that I wasn't able to get any of the anti-Rakdos matchups to be as good as I wanted them to be. I know, like, if you talk to Misplaced Ginger, he'd just say they're all good matchups. He's played his, like, thousand hours of, of right. red-black, <laughs> and I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> I don't have the time. I have a job. I have a kid. I don't know. So I felt when I was trying to play the deck that I won the good matchups and lost the bad matchups and could pull the bad matchups up a little bit, but not enough to feel confident when I think everybody's going to be targeting Rakdos as the most popular deck. And honestly, more so because it's hard to know what else to target than because it's so much above all of the other choices. No, yeah, I, I get that a lot. <laughs> it's the easiest deck with like a clear weakness that can't just cheese you, like mono green can or mono white can? Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It can sometimes. Sometimes Thoughtseize, bad Tarmogoyf just gets there and you can't really do much about it. Blood Tithe Harvester. Yeah, I don't know, or, or Bank Buster. But, uh, four is so much damage. I mean, who, who could possibly beat four damage? But to switch over, I, I guess, to green. Green is appealing because it is good versus Rakdos. And also does not have anything that is that bad of a matchup because you're just like so powerful. Like you, you, your best draw is just beat everyone. It like doesn't matter, like especially on the play. Your, your best draw is just beat everyone independent of whatever they decided they wanted to do today. You, you've just played like 30 mana of spells on turn four and they lose now. There was some, for, for a while we were playing Monogreen with Karuga. And that was sick. 
Um, <laughs> it's just big and it has two green pips and it draws a bunch of cards and ultimately ended up being worse than Cityscape Leveler, which is lame because Kruger's way cooler. But Cityscape Leveler is way more of a mythic. So unfortunately, uh, the hippo lost. There's more words there. on it. There's yeah. so many words. You can mill words. it over with, with, with your horse and then get it back from the graveyard. It allows you to beat a lot of random stuff that otherwise you don't like. It allows you to beat random pithy needles and other stuff like that. On so your, were you running like in one of your flex slots or like in both of your flex slots? Or? Yeah, the, the list we were running was one carry to two Karuga. Okay. Um, and then and then those became cityscape levelers at some point. Uh, one, I, I don't actually remember. I think one is a cityscape leveler and one is a boat now. I, I've, sure. I've sort of checked out. They're they're over there debating two cards for like four days. It's you well, know <laughs> there's only so many things you get to spend your energy on with the mono green testing. So that's true. Honestly, a lot of the locking in on a deck early was because there was so much so little time for limited. Mm-hmm. We were like, all right, mostly locking a deck prior to the new set coming out. Right. Trust trust the process. We played against the new cards. If someone like really broke it, good beats. They probably didn't. I don't know. Pioneer's a pretty big format. And there's a lot more edge to be gained playing a bunch of matches of one draft because a lot of people at this Pro Tour are not super versed in limited, um, like me. And I think there's a lot of skill edge to be gained there relative to, like, I don't know, all these people qualified via Pioneer. They're probably good at Pioneer. Probably going to pick a good deck. They're probably going to play it well. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, very few of them qualified via limited, so. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, you can't qualify for the Pro Tour via limited, right? I, if you if you went through the RC, it had right. to have been. Tricky. But I, there were some ways to qualify, like through Arena and stuff that that got you to the Pro Tour. So you know, I don't know all okay. of the methods, but yeah. yes, the primary. So method like those twenty-ish people, right. yeah, a small and, handful of people. And even the people who qualified via previous tournaments, it wasn't like the be one. Yeah. Well, no, those just weren't limited tournaments either like the previous set championships or whatever all constructed yeah, I guess that's true. it's been like two years of basically only constructed at the high level so all of the i guess established people from those tournaments have played varying amounts of limited basically depending on were they high level magic players pre the pandemic and a lot of them just weren't right so it's gonna be the best draft you've ever seen at the pro tour just the most the most skilled i i will be interested to see how much you know the the people who have been on the pro tour before and have this experience even not very recent experience you know we haven't drafted on the pro tour in years and years and years but i wonder if the people who have done that before will like have any latent advantages i i can feel it like so my group is like 20 people we were doing like we were doing in-house uh like Hot tip, if, if anybody qualifies for the Pro Tour and wants to practice limited, but they don't have like connections, just go just go on to Magic Online and sit in the single OLM queue. Because what happens is people groups of people qualify for the Pro Tour will just all rush the single OLM queue at the same time and then try to draft against each other. So like, if you just sit in there, th- eventually they will just fire with seven people and you all of whom two- are preparing for the pro tour right all of who are preparing for the pro tour a lot of like previous mpl players like world's competitors it's like very good people and you you two can play against them like there's no it's it's just the queue it only it just works because the queue's really unpopular but you you can be in there while doing that but but one might actually been pretty good which i wasn't really expecting but there's like two or three players who i just lose to 
every time. And like, <laughs> yeah. like th- these people clearly know something I don't. I, you know, have talked to them, learned, gotten better, but it's just like, you can't shortcut 10 years of experience down into like two to three weeks that I've spent, you know, pr- practicing sure. this format, right? So. Yeah, it's, um, it's just years of experience getting leveraged right. against like trying to learn as much as you can in the time that you have. Right, and they're also doing that, right? It's not like they're just showing right. up for the first time playing the set. They are also trying very hard to learn what is good. Yeah. So. I, I think one of the advantage, one of the main advantages that you have of after playing a decade of Pro Tours that had draft in them is you know how to prepare in limited in an efficient way. And you're, you you know, like, I need to learn these lessons about the format first and this quickly. And then you like learn the lessons faster than somebody who's just like, I need to learn how to play this format. You also, so there's been a lot of talk about how like, ah, oh, the format's so aggressive. The, the, the white decks are so good. They just run you over. You can't do anything. I'm, I'm pretty sure all that's fake. And, and I expect the, the general people to catch up for that to that in like a week or two. But like Axiom Engraver, it's a two mana one three. You can tap it, discard a card, draw a card. It has like two oil counters. You can like, mm-hmm. yeah. That card, broken. It's, it's so good. It's just like, it it is clearly better. It's like, I don't know, top, top five common in the set. And... If you're if you play your 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 like dumb white aggressive creature and your opponent plays an action engraver, like you just can't do anything. You get like attack and then like trick, and then you still don't have a guy and they play a three drop and you still can't you, like you just you're not getting anywhere. Or you don't attack and they and like the the red and the green cards are so much bigger than all the white cards. And once you figure out that you're allowed to draft just like seven two drops and put them in your deck and play it, or even one drops, there's like a a one mana one two. You can like tap to put an oil counter on it and then tap it, take the oil the off to untap. Yeah, to, to untap a land. That's mm-hmm. like a green card. Your opponent plays a crawling course. You play a one-two, game over. There's nothing you can do. It's <laughs> just like, no, you're, like the entire deck just stops functioning because you like can't corrupt them. And yeah. And so uh, we have found, and this is uh, mirrored with other people I've talked to from different groups, that red-green is just the best deck by a lot. Like we had a draft earlier in the week where the finals was a red green mirror, and one of the one of those drafters beat another red green player in the semis, and all the people who lost were playing the other three colors. Well, I would, I mean, a lot of that is just the the depth of the red commons. It has like yep. twice as many playable cards as blue does. I mean, blue is the worst color, but it literally yeah. has like seven good commons, and blue has like three commons that aren't embarrassing to put in a deck, and that's yeah. and- that's a gap. And they all, like, you can sort of switch out any of them. Like, there are the better two drops and the worst two drops, but all the red two drops are good. You can, like, put them in your deck and they'll be fine. Like, the green 1-3 spider with reach, that's, like, not a great card. It's mostly a sideboard card. When you board it in, it's really good. When, when your opponent is playing, like, the 1-1 the one, one flyer for that has toxic one in black, you play a spider, game over. They can't do anything. I mean, they yeah. could, like, kill it, but... <laughs> But that thing is not. But then they're killing the one three spider, you know. That that poor card is not plague stinger. Like it's just such a. It like looks no. like poor it's supposed to be like plague stinger, but there's just like such a gap between what it does and the threat. When like in in scars limited, when you're at four poison and there's a plague stinger on the other side of the table, every turn you're like, 
how do I not die to this plague stinger this turn? And that's just yeah. like not part of playing against the flying creature with toxic. I mean, also there was the whole, the whole like plague stinger next turn trigon of rage. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. that's yeah. I'm just dead to this. <laughs> I cannot interact with these cards, or I will lose. G- getting poisoned out is pretty uncommon. Like sometimes. The decks can do it where they like play a couple early things and then play a lot of proliferate and kind of burn you out. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes your opponent plays the the one five green black rot priest. Uh, that card's really good at poisoning people. Yeah. Oh, the gold card. Yeah, the gold card. Because it's like basically unblockable because it gets death touch and stuff. It's, yeah. it's unblockable. All your other creatures are unblockable. They yeah. all have. They all deal extra toxic damage. It's like very hard to beat. It's it's unkillable. It has five toughness. That's so much toughness. If they ever have a trick and it just has multiple power and you double block this thing, you're just dead. So that card is quite good. But all of those decks, you have like your toxic guys and your proliferate guys and also your just like interaction magic cards and all of that has to come together in the right, right way to work. Whereas your gruel deck is just, I'm going to play a two drop and then I'm going to play a three drop and then I'm going to play a four drop and they're all just bigger than my opponent's creatures for some reason. And I'm going to either attack or block, depending on what the board state tells me to do. And then eventually, I will cast my four mana deal one to all my opponent's creatures they can't block and kill them. I I think Sam Black, in his last podcast, put into words a a thing that I had been thinking about this format and that I think that is what you're talking about right now, is that like there's a couple different kinds of fast limited formats. And that you have your Amonkets and your Zendikars, in which... They're fast formats because blocking is not allowed. Like you just can't block any of the two drops effectively. But this is kind of the opposite of that because it's not that you can't block. It's that you like have to block. If you don't block, you're going to die. Yeah. All, all the creatures have goad, but they're also small. So right. you just put a bigger creature in front of them. And then and sometimes you don't block. Like the, 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 the best is you don't block and you take like one toxic. And the next turn, you untap and leave open two mana and pass the turn back. And you have a 3-3. Three, three. And it's like, well, I guess this 3-3 three, three is just moat. Because if I jam into the 3-3 three, three and try to pump my guy, then you, you have back. anything, yeah. then like, the game's just over. And so we're just going to sit here. And all of my cards are bigger than yours because the white cards are very small. And also, lots of people draft the white deck. Um, there was a, a post on Twitter... I don't remember who the poster was, but they they did a graph of how often cards win versus how often cards are picked. And the white cards are all in the corner of picked often, win often. The black cards are picked often and don't win that much. Yeah. The blue cards are not picked often and don't win that much because they're it's like known to be bad. And then the red cards win a lot and are not picked often. And it is like basically a... Like a like the, the the little like squares with the four squares inside them. It's like it it, it shouldn't be like that, right? The, the the red cards move over to picked often, and the black cards move over to not picked often, and it should look kind of like a line instead of like a a grid. Yeah, and I mean that's um, not secret information, so you can expect picks at the PT to be much closer to reflecting like what that should be. Yeah, and so I think if you could really get all the cards for the white aggressive deck. It's, it's pretty good. But I've had a lot of experience, like, first picking Crawling Chorus, second second picking the two-drop, the two drop, third picking the three-mana 2-2 two, two flyer that jumps a guy, and then my end deck has, like, ten creatures with poison. 
which just isn't like the deck doesn't work. You like can't add other two drops because they don't right. contribute to your game plan, but your game plan's only aggressive. So you can't really add a bunch of value stuff either. And you, you just kind of trade wreck. Yeah. I mean, toxic is mostly like the reason you have to block in the early game is because if you get toxic and you get up to your three poison counters and get corrupted, then a bunch of their right. commons play like uncommons and a bunch of their uncommons play like mythic rares. So you just yeah. are trying to avoid that happening to you. Yeah, but honestly, I feel like it, it should have been kind of obvious when they were like, you get the bonus at three poison counters. It's not very many, if, yeah. Yeah, if I, if I had really thought about it, that's not, three's a lot less than 10. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not very close to 10. Yeah, and that that's what I've seen too from games playing out is just like getting to 10 poison like your creatures are dealing enough actual regular combat damage that like if you hit them enough to get to 10 poison, they're probably basically at zero life anyways. So yeah, uh, unless you're doing a very defensive deck with a lot of proliferate. Proliferate, that's, right. That's that's yeah, the that's, main way. That's the only way I've seen people die to poison. Like sure, people die to poison when they also hit like negative two, but yeah. that doesn't matter. Right. Limited. Yeah, I love talking about limited. I haven't played this format as much uh as i you know try to play new formats generally i just haven't really had the time to get into it but uh, yeah i think that it's going to be a big deal this tournament having figured out like how to navigate this very aggressive format and how to put yourself into non-aggressive decks that actually function when the like baseline aggressive decks just aren't there and having set yourself up for that is really really good and really important I want to say two things about PT Limited, because I think it's overlooked a little bit, especially when you start getting deep into the weeds of like figuring out the format and stuff like that. Uh, the first thing's just kind of general. Like, I've always viewed Limited as the best way to improve your win percentage on the Pro Tour, because the same people who are good at Limited always win the Limited stuff. And you can get just a, such a bigger edge there than you can in Constructed, which everyone plays a million matches of mm -hmm. against the same decks all the time. Uh, and as a corollary to that, there's stories all the time, and I see this when I watch coverage, people just draft weak decks and still win anyway because people have just figured out that some colors are worse than others and then they avoid drafting those and then they get the great white deck or whatever, you know? Well, you also have pod discrepancy. All draft pods do not have the same power level of cards opened. Yes, and that's true. you really feel that in like the days of like arena, you just like play against people because like waiting for a whole pod draft is agonizing. But <laughs> so like I never get get why Watsy pushes the, the the league thing. A lot of times decks that don't look very good, you know, we, we'll, we'll post all of our decks in like in like a chat because we're, we're practicing open deck list, and it's like, oh, well, my deck isn't good because none of the decks are good. Like I like drafted my C pretty well. Green black was pretty open. But like, yeah, like we opened a lot of the rares that are for somebody, but I, I don't know who they're for, but they're not for limited players. But yeah, that's that's kind of why I think it's important to know how to draft pretty much or be comfortable drafting a lot of different archetypes that are like not interchangeable with each other. So you can draft a lot of different seats depending on what you open. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm in. I've gotten two coaching sessions with Sam Black because he's very good at magic. Specifically limited. Yes. And uh, I wanted to become better. Shout out to coaching. It's helped a lot. Like b both of my sessions with him, I like finished the session and immediately 3 0 the draft. Just because it's, uh, for someone who's not used to it, it's hard for me. 
to consolidate all of the vibes into actionable advice to take forward into future drafts. Just because I don't, I don't have the experience structuring it all, like structuring my thoughts in that way. Uh, I do a lot of my constructed work via just like iterating a bunch on the exact same thing until I know exactly what I want to do. And because you need to draft different seats and limited, that's really hard. Like I've, I've, I've drafted blue white once and I trophied with it the one time, but I like, did I draft it correctly? Could I have changed some things? Probably, but it hasn't been open again because blue's not very good. So it's kind of hard to get over there. So it, it's been very helpful to, uh, he's very good at like taking the big picture stuff and then breaking it down into, all right, so because these things are happening, here's like tactically what you can do to like- To maximize all that. that, yeah. 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 It's, it's much more- than like a pick by pick thing. You get to see what cards you're opening and passing and coming to you importantly. Yeah. And you get to formulate your entire draft based on that. Yeah. Like the one of the things we talked about today is that uh the two mana black exile a cheap thing unless they're reflected and then you exile an expensive thing. Mm-hmm. That card, according to the data, is like a pretty big trap. Because while that card is very good, all the other black cards are not very good. And so he's telling me about this, and I'm like, oh. I've definitely first picked that card a lot because it is strong. And then my draft is just sort of like petered out. You you get like that card and then like a couple pretty good black cards, but because the black depth is not very high. Sure. And black is fairly contested. It's just really easy for you to just run out of card because there's aren't that many playables. Or a lot of them are like, you're like picking a whisper of the dross as like your sixth pick when really you want that to be like an eighth to 10th pick card based on like its quality. Yeah, that's one of the types of cards that you would want to pick up like fourth or fifth or something. Once you've already picked stronger cards in a different color. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. At least the couple of people ahead of me do not value right, which is black very highly. Like not something I'd really internalized because I was just like, you know, like the first level, just do things based on vibes. Second level, look at 17's lands data and try to pick the better cards. And then like third level, look at the surrounding cards and try to pick the best card that will point you in a direction you want to go in. So like first picking red removal spell, great idea. Because then you might draft a red deck and the red deck's really good. Like even like your seven out of 10 red deck is is better than a lot of nine out of 10 black decks. Yeah. And and that third level, what that really is, is maximizing the value of the card you are getting as compared to the cost of the pick you are spending. You know, like a first pick is way more valuable than a fourth pick, a second pick is more valuable. And and it's really weird because like that black common is probably the best common in the set. It's probably the best it common is, it, spell it, to It is cast. currently the best common in the set according to 17 lens data and is like four percentage points better than the next black, the, the, the next black common, which is the problem. Like but you it, can't- Right, it has, it has no baggage friends. attached to it where like you only really want to be able to you you can only get that percentage if you were supposed to be in black and that is rarer than you would think based on there being five colors in the set. Yeah. It is a first pick quality card, but you really want to be in a spot where you're not spending a first pick on it because that just like carries you into 
having to spend your third pick on a fifth or sixth pick quality card. And then your overall yeah. ratio gets thrown off really badly by that. I think it's extra hard because blue is clearly the worst color. Mm-hmm. And so at least for my brain, it's like, oh, well, blue's bad. But clearly like the other four colors are good. Because like, there's no way they just make a draft format where like colors. two of the three. Yeah, there's no way they do that. They're professionals. It, it 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 does boggle me how this can happen in this day and age. Like the colors are not always balanced. And we definitely saw that in like Streets of New Capenna. But the last time, like in Oath of the Gatewatch, just green wasn't a color. Like you just were not supposed to ever put green into your deck and that feels like the last time where it was like a true four color format and it is it really boggles me that we can end up in that spot i've heard that streets of new Capenum was really bad i didn't it, play that format it was pretty bad yeah i and most a lot for this reason the the color imbalance was so great that it couldn't be corrected by just like drafts natural tendency to to fix color imbalance just like if you ended up in you know the the jundish area then you were having problems yeah and i think i think people just generally they like expect it to work out if the color drafting seems open right because it should i mean honestly it it like should if you find the open colors and like the archetype is like you're getting the pieces for the archetype like the perfect version of the red black deck doesn't necessarily need to be exactly as good as the perfect version of the blue white deck or whatever but if you're in in a well-designed format if your colors are open and you're drafting an archetype that has like seeded concepts in the set and then it's still not very good then you know they messed up yeah like a lot of the sacrifice cards in some of the recent draft sets. Yeah. Like, oh, here's the red, black, gold uncommon. Don't draft it. <laughs> there's there's a rare in this format. It's a, it's a red, black four drop. And you like, at your end of turn, sack a permanent you have. To get a worse permanent? Yeah, to get a worse permanent from your deck and put it into play. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a four mana four four with just a ton of text that does nothing. I, I will say, we, we had a guy on the team early pick one of the uncommon threatens and then also get a second uncommon threaten. So he was like, all right, I'm going to try to draft the threaten deck. And he got that rare. So we like stole a five drop, sacked the five drop. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was really good. If, if, if you combine your, your rare with these uncommons, which to be fair, if the threaten's in the pack, I got a last pick threaten. Like... Somebody picked the basic land with the cool, like engraved, what whatever over over the threat. So they're like, I'm just, I'm not doing this. This isn't a real card. <laughs> not enough respect for threatens. The, I, I think the threaten is legitimately good in the red black deck. Like I think it is like a powerful thing to be doing because there are a lot of sacrifice outlets that are not particularly high picks, but but are very powerful if you have good things to sacrifice, like the. What do you call it? The one mana black thing where you can either pay like pay four or sack a thing to like kill something. That card's like very good. Oh, annihilating glare. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that card's very good if you have lost that sacrifice. But sacrificing stuff is just hard when people are beating you down. Well, I mean that's that's a big cost of the aggressive format, and it's not even like. Yeah, you don't always have to draft an aggressive deck, but what you do need to do is you need to have 10 cards that cost one or two mana in your deck. Yeah. Once you put all of those cards in your deck, there is not a lot of room to be putting like cute little combos in your deck. And also like you can't afford to stumble by drawing half of a combo instead of a two drop in your opening hand. Yeah, you you need to both 
have all these early plays, but then because you have less late plays, they need to be the best late plays you have access to. Because mm-hmm. if, if your one to two five drops loses their one to two five drops, it's very hard to win once your two drops all kind of smudge up into each other. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a big part of why Red's really good too, because Furnace Strider is just gigantic and has haste and gives something else haste. It's charging monsters. It's, it's so plus. good. It's, and it's, it's, it's yeah, it's often card. better. Because often you like you like play your five drop, haste, bang, and then you untap, play a second four or five drop. That one also has haste. And you just like I have, yeah. And also the sort of innoc- innocuous card, there's a five mana, five, five reach menace. It's like an ogre with a spear. I don't know what that has to do with Phyrexia, but it's like really good because it's a gigantic reach creature. And one of the main ways red green loses is to like, you know, flyers flapping at you. But also it's just bigger than ever. It's bigger than Furnace Strider. Like how, how do you beat something bigger than Furnace Strider? You just can't do it. It's, it's too large. <laughs> Wait, we kind of just naturally transitioned straight into the limited we, format. We did. There's a lot of Pioneer decks we didn't talk about. They're all mostly the same. I don't know. Um, I think the Gruel deck got the most upgrades from the new set. I think Migloss is very good. Sure. It's uh, For people who don't know, it's a four mana, four, four with five oil but counters. Three, it's only three. three sorry, sorry. Yeah, th- th- it would not be good if it was four mana. But three no. mana, four, four with five oil counters. You can s- use one to give it Menace and Vigilance, yeah. I think. Yep, yep. Uh, two gives it plus two, plus two, or three destroy an artifact or enchantment. And the the value over replacement of that compared to like Love Struck Beast or whatever you were playing in that spot before is like pretty significantly better. Um, that deck also gets Copperline Gorge. And I've seen people playing the red green sword in the board for both the mirror and mono green as a, like an equipment that allows you to force past their creatures, but also works when you're not immediately killing them. It's also a really good value engine against like blue white control. It like turns yeah. all of your creatures into they have to get rid of it. It's it's really good. The, the first time I hit it and I like used it and I hit my opponent and I like played a spell and then like the other spell was still lit up. And I was like, wait a second. You're telling me I get both of these? I, I guess two? <laughs> That's so many spells. So. One for each color. Yeah, I, it's all I guess. Has. So yeah, that, that card's very good. Alice Dorn is very good in some different things. If, if I had more time to practice for this tournament, I would have played a lot of Atraxa decks. Like reanimating Atraxa, I, I think that's or transmogging into yeah. Atraxa, or I, I'm not exactly sure what you want to do because I just like in a week didn't have time to figure it out while also prepping limited. Mm-hmm. But I think that card's very powerful, and you're seeing it in, in like I don't know, it, All yeah, the every every format. It's just like p- people were joking about oh, it's basically just drawing four cards. The the best four cards of 10 cards is so much better than four cards. It really is. I That that card is has impressed. It's like replacing Gristlebrand in lists and stuff. It's, yeah, it's really good. You can you can pitch it to real cards in older formats. Yeah. Yeah, in modern, being able to pitch to a bunch of different cards is cool. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I want to try uh, post-PT, when I go into no more good deck arcs, only, only bad decks that might accidentally be good, but that's not the plan. Is like Atraxa plus Shall or not Shallow Grave. Gorios. Uh, Gorios Vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Plus Ephemerate. And then you also have like Ephemerate Solitude and Ephemerate Grief. The beautiful to- part of that is when you Gorios Vengeance, your Atraxa, you get 10 looks to find your Ephemerate to get to keep your Atraxa. You, you, you both get to keep, you get to find your Ephemerate and also get to find your Solitude or Grief 
to make it so they can't like to stop whatever they were gonna do. Cause you know, mob decks do powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you hit the ephemerate, you can do the ephemerate on your main phase or like like main phase two after you attack them. And then you get to look at even more stuff to like re- to like get more pit spells that are free and, and load up on that. Anyway, that I think is fairly promising. But also Graveyard Hate and Modern is really good. It is. And the the discard enablers in modern, you know, Faithless Moody got banned, and good. we you, you go down. We went down like two tiers of discard enablers after the Faithless Looting ban, and it is not fun yeah. to discard cards in modern anymore. It's not the best, but we can try. We can try, of course. Yeah, I want to try that. I want to try Tyvar Devoted Druid, which is not showing up on Twitter, so it's probably bad. But I'm better than those people, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I did see it on Twitter today. Ooh. Uh, it did not look that promising that specific list that well that's because i, I didn't have my touch a four burnington four yeah, probably tyvar though i in general i've just seen showing up like people are doing all sorts of stuff with tyvar and i mean yeah. like i'm here for it. it's just a good card i saw the most wonderful god-awful uh prime speaker manafar deck with sure. tyvar <laughs> it looks so did bad. y'all see the <laughs> It plays like the green black saga that like mills three and it can return an elf or a Tyvar. Yeah. So if you have two Morit of the Frost in your graveyard and then you cast, it's like yeah, Herald of Herald something. unites the elves or something like that. Yeah. And you like mill it, get back your clone, copy your Herald, mill some more, get back your other clone that like makes you sack the first clone to the legend rule. And then you just mill your whole deck, get a Tyvar, minus Anthos' Oracle, win. It's it's really cute. It requires a lot of pieces and a lot of really bad cards that you could draw. So I, you know, skeptical. But if somebody makes it work, somebody somebody takes this one to the PT. I will I will be watching carefully. I did. I played a league with Pioneer Hammer, and uh-huh. the, my only wins were to that deck and to the Pioneer Hammer Mirror. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> not really sold. On, on either of cool. these decks, yeah. I don't know, it plays Fable. How bad could it be? I mean, that's the baseline is put for any Pioneer deck is like put Fable in your deck and then put other cards in and the other cards have yeah. to work. Well, yes, sometimes. It's like the uh, the, the meme where the guy has the, the duct tape over the, over the leaking. Oh, I'll just Flex put tape. Fable in this deck. <laughs> so the, the thing about Fable is it lets you discard the terrible cards that you've put in your deck and sometimes it leaves you with only good cards and like disguises the fact that you had all these bad cards in your deck in the first place. No, but the problem is with bad card decks with Fable in them is that when you discard your bad cards, you're more likely more to draw cards, more bad right? cards. That, that is rough. Anyway, I'm only playing good cards, like Courier's Briefcase in my uh, Pioneer deck. Oh, <laughs> yes, ideal. Hey, you get two citizens, Will. It's true. Once once you have two citizens, they can reasonably block something. Did you know that? <laughs> they can block a, a Fable token and they still get their treasure out of it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What else is there to talk about? What are we... So what are you expecting to see kind of like percentage-wise the makeup of the the pioneer metagame at this tournament um like 15 to 20 percent rakdos and then like eight percent of green and also white and also lotus field and also gruel and also angels and also just yeah. i can just like keep listing just like list all the decks going down the list on goldfish yeah i think they're gonna be about like you know Two, all sort of thirds the same. of the percentage that Rakdos had, and they're all going to be about the same or something like that. Yeah. So the problem is, I don't think they'll all be the same, mm-hmm. but I think it just depends on like what the larger groups of people decided to play. Like if 
one random team all decides we're going to play Gruel, then Gruel is just a giant percentage of PT because the average people are just mostly playing what they qualified with, probably. Or they're doing what my team did and all just sort of picking decks that are some reasonable. Yeah, reasonable decks. So it's very, I, I, I really have no idea. You, you could show me a very wide range of me- metagames on Thursday morning or whatever, but whenever they release that information, I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Hoping for decks to die to Ellis Norm. I would just be really surprised if the top three decks aren't Rectus, Mono Green, Mono White. Like in, in whatever order. But those three decks not being the most popular three decks would be... Yeah, Mono Green has been going through these cycles. Um, yeah. And it's just like, are we at a trough or are we at a peak of, of Mono I, Green's popularity? I think we are currently in a trough, like last weekend. But mm-hmm. I expect the Pro Tour to, to peak up. Sure. Because I think... Yeah. I, I think a bunch of people have just been going through the motions with Green... And I think putting some time in to actually figure out how do we sideboard correctly, why Cityscape Leveler is just the bee's knees, uh, stuff like that, I think will make it a lot better. I also think a lot of it is that those three decks have like some sort of pedigree, whereas everything after that is more or less interchangeable. Like it's hard to solidify greater numbers around those decks. Yeah, like Enchanting's won the super like last weekend. That's and, not going to do anything for its numbers. At the and just nobody though. cares. Nobody yeah. cares. That's what I'm saying. You just post shit on Twitter. Nobody cares. <laughs> Until you win like a big paper tournament, no one cares what you're doing. I do like another point in favor of five color bring to light is you are really good against enchanties in the five color mirror because the, the they're Ellis Norn. mirror, yeah. Yeah, because you can kill their Ellis Norn and they cannot kill your Ellis Norn the way the decks are currently constructed, which is pretty big game. Also having sweepers. I don't know if I brought this up specifically, but the Enchanted deck, if you get sufficiently behind, it's really hard to effectively catch back up because you're at the end of the day just tutoring creatures that are powerful, but you know, limited. Whereas tutoring Selfless Weaver against like 10 white creatures, they all just go in the graveyard. And then your opponent span the boards, the opponent don't have anything left, and then you can like win from there. Yeah, I was going to ask if Selfless Glyph Weaver slash Deadly Vanity had made it into the list because that is that's yes, a sweet yeah, one. It's, oh, yeah. It's it's very good. It is, I, I do not think the list would be particularly playable without that card because you do a lot of just like making some mana. Like uh, like a, a lot of your games, you just go like turn two, Sylvie Carrington, turn three, Fable. And then you need to do something really strong on turn four once you've done that or yeah. else you're, like, your opponent also took game actions <laughs> and... Like, Pyro deck's pretty strong, right? Right, and, and like, a, a Wrath would be all right, but keeping your Sylvan Karyatid is really important to keep going yeah. and keep casting your spells. Yeah, and then the, the reason we play Extinction Event is because against green, Extinction Event's often better in those spots. All their cards are even. Your Karyatid and Fable Token are both... Or, sorry, all their cards are odd. Mm-hmm. Your Karyatid and Fable Token are both even. And so you kill, like, their two mana dorks and their Old Growth Troll, and then win yeah and and like that's the hope against gruel too but gruel is better at having two drops now because they have like they can run werewolf pack leader with copperline gorge existing so like that math is different now they're not just a one mana three mana deck like yeah or they can play um vehicles which both makes even cat friends and makes a artifact that doesn't die to both extinction event and uh the backside of glyph weaver Mm-hmm. Which I, I think Deadly Vanity? Yeah. 
I think is the name of it. Yeah. Yep. So Gruel is kind of scary. I would not be surprised if Gruel. I, I, I think if I were to guess, I think my deck's very good, but I think you always think that about your deck. Of the decks I'm not playing, I expect Gruel to punch like significantly above its weight class. I think it is most meaningfully improved with its with its new cards. Like I think Copline Gorge is huge for that deck. Yeah. And I think I think yeah, people always say like the new lands are huge for whatever decks, but usually they're like, oh, this deck, this this land is huge for some deck that isn't really playable. And then you put the land in the deck that isn't playable, and you learn, oh, the spells are also bad. This is rough. <laughs> Where, whereas, like, the cool spells are just all very good. Yep. It's just, like, sometimes you couldn't cast them, and now you can, like, significantly more consistently. And you have a cool new legend that's a 4-4. And, like, I assume just has to be nuts in the mirror. Like, you just, like, play your 4-4, and then at some point just shatter their, like, a crone war or their... A vehicle that seems like just sword. yeah or sword yeah just yeah. like you like still have a four four <laughs> just like, that could also get bigger like I don't know it's, it seems very good to me yeah that that card has been really impressive I I am scrounging up the cards to play Gruel this weekend in my RCQ because I do think that it is a really good choice and Copperline Gorge has done so much for the deck including I I think it's just like bears repeating the very key ability to run Werewolf Pack Leader as your two drop. Instead yeah. of the like incredibly anemic scavenging use, now you get to put in Werewolf Pack Leader. You have access to these curves. Even without an elf, you go Werewolf Pack Leader into Reckless Stormseeker and you're drawing a card. And that's yeah. really good. Yeah, and it's it, it puts pressure on your opponent to kill your two drop. Whereas Skews, they just like, I don't Ignore know, it. will yeah. block it or kill it later or whatever. It's like, no, nah, you kind of have to kill this. And now you have to kill the three drop. Now you have to interact with their four drop, which you can't even kill. Because uh, it's a Seekers Chariot, yeah. Yeah, because Seekers Chariot's really messed up. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, the, the option as well to have Sword in addition. Like, I, I have been liking Gruel, but I, I am very excited to see your Bring to Light deck play out. And hopefully yeah. we get to see a bunch of it on coverage. I think it's sweet. I think, I bet there will be other sweet decks too. Like, th there's been stuff in the, th there's been a lot of attraction decks in the queues. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know caliber of player posting those decks because I think they're just neat. Like, are these people playing it because they think it's good for the Pro Tour? Are they playing it because the tracks is cool and fun? Or, you know, it's 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 hard to know. But yeah, Atraxa is now like a 40 ticket, 50 ticket card or something like that on Moto. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, it has um, its fans. Yeah. So, we, we have like a chat where whenever we see like people we expect to be playing good decks or just like see decks that we think are powerful. Mm -hmm. We like post them, and there's a lot of screenshots of Atraxa decks. Sure, <laughs> and yeah. we're all just like, I think everyone's like, I would be really unsurprised if these people broke it, but also there's like 24 hours before decklist submission, and like it's just not, yeah, worth it. Yep, 64 ticks now. That's that's what it's at. That's so many tickets, but it's also like. You know, Justin Gennari playing it in vintage in a like really powerful looking oath shell. This is just everywhere. It's like the big creature in magic at the like. That, yeah, it, that's just what it is. Getting cards without paying seven life is really yeah. good. <laughs> like sometimes they kill your Gristlebrand and then you die. <laughs> that yeah. like happens a lot. Or they've already pressured you and you can't activate the Gristlebrand. 
And honestly, like getting to look at the 10 cards and picking the ones that you need, as long as you have that spread of card types in your deck, which like in vintage is really easy because you get artifact for free as yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's just, it has been looking really powerful. Plus you can pitch it to force. You can pitch it to solitude. You can pitch it to force of vigor. Like this card does everything. It, it also lets you play a value underworld breach. Cause that's a Yagwan's will. That's also an enchantment. Mm, that's that's really true yeah that's that's another yeah anyway i think, I think it tracks is really sweet wish i had bought some like i don't know four days ago missed miss, miss that boat <laughs> it looks like it's like depending on version it's like 20 bucks now it's like not that bad I, if you wish you had bought I mean, some it was on always going to be but... a 20 dollar card yeah right? i don't know maybe we should buy some in paper it wouldn't surprise like if it, it like wins a, out a big camera match on friday that's just going through the roof. Like, because yeah. it's significantly cooler than all of the other good cards. It will also never, ever, ever go down because it's commander card. Yeah, as it's well. a cool commander card. It's never getting reprinted. <laughs> like, mm, this might I mean, be maybe. one of those cards that gets like eight secret layers and then. I guess like, that's true. It could, I, I could see it in a bunch of commander products. CCR, they printed six versions in this <laughs> set alone. How many <laughs> secret layers? <laughs> Yes, so maybe pick up your Traxas. Don't pick them up from TCG Player because we don't support union busting on this podcast. Damn, we also don't support just like your shit getting canceled, or your cards not showing <laughs> right. up, or like the other the other reasons to not support TCG Player. Yeah, shout out to unions. Correct. Yeah. All right, what have we not touched on? What what things did you learn like from the testing process, whether it's like meta lessons about like, are you going to change anything next time that you're preparing for one of these tournaments or just anything yeah, about after you qualify again? Yeah. When for the next pro tour after you nine, seven and think I can do better than that. <laughs> no, no, you can 10, six. <laughs> uh, there's also a, a PTQ on Sunday. That doesn't all matter. Us. There's no PTQ. Yeah, on it's, like, it's like only for the pro tour players who scrub and, and don't requeue. <laughs> it's like a so, however many round pioneer tournament. I think it's kind of sweet. It's the hardest um, PTQ honestly, you've ever played. <laughs> yeah, it's like only people who just played at the pro tour. I'd <laughs> be sick PTQ to win. Would would honestly be sicker to to win that PTU probably the nine seven the pro tour. Sure, but but uh, but I'm gonna try to, to to dick around. Actually, I'm I'm gonna compete in top eight on Sunday. Yeah. So we'll well I'll I'll be busy. A little so stretch I, goal. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I don't really know all that much that I do differently. I, I like the people I tested with. Jealous I couldn't go to the testing house and like jam a bunch of drafts all day, but you know, job and kid couldn't couldn't make all that work. And I'll still have the job and kid for the next pro tour I qualify for. So nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't know. I, I think my process was good. I think if I do not qualify for the next pro tour, I think I would try to stay more pat like more engaged and limited. Not a ton is not my favorite way to play Magic, but I think doing some amount of drafts of every format and just like actively trying to figure all of those out will pay dividends down the line more so than what I'm currently able to do, which is jam infinite of this format. Be here on year one of my 10 years experience playing limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you just have that baseline... Uh, like going in of of having played limited recently i don't i don't know if this is the same for i guess you ccr <laughs> but 
uh, in drafting, what I've learned from drafting so much is that the practice from drafting a launch of different formats for me mostly manifests in playing games with mm-hmm. limited. Sure. Uh, I still have to learn how to draft every format every time. Right. That makes sense. I definitely, I don't think I'm particularly good at playing matches of constructed, which sort of gets exacerbated in, in matches of limited where the players are a lot less scripted. I think I usually derive a lot of my edge from uh, like the preparation stage, which is a lot harder to do in limited. And so that's, that's been a lot of work and is, it, it's only so fast you can do it, right? You like play a bunch of games, haven't learned anything, go to bed, play a bunch of games, don't feel like you've learned anything, go to bed. And then just sort of eventually, you know more things. Like it is slightly, it, like you do want to be more active in your like selection process and like think about what you did and think about how you could have improved. All, all that stuff is important. But even when doing all of that, you don't really realize the gains of that process for like right. days or weeks or months or how, however long it takes, right? Because our, our brains just don't got to like get your REM cycles and, and, you know. Well, and you also can't sit down to answer questions the way that you do when you're testing. You can't be like, okay, you play mono green. I'm going to play gruel. We're going to see if the new if the new sword is better than Ember Cleave in this matchup. Like Forge and Frontiers. Yeah. Though. So if we're we're going to figure out a sword sword of Forge and Frontier is better than Ember Cleave in this matchup, and we'll know in two hours the answer to that question. In limited, it's just you know you can try to lean your picks one way or another, but you're playing what you get, and you are learning what the games that you happen to play can teach you. And so yeah, it's been. Something working with Sam has helped a lot with is just like knowing what questions I should be asking to mm-hmm. try to make meaningful improvements. So I think I think it's like fairly hard to do that. A lot of people talk about limited uh, the way I've been talking about limited because I'm not very good. Where you just like say some game state happens and then you win, mm-hmm. which is like not actually what happens, right? There, there's like there's like a lot of turns and there's a lot of inflection points and, you know, but it's really difficult to distill. And it's funny because constructed players talk about all those inflection points, even though I think a lot of constructed games actually are just, well, you played the Merktide Regent and then none of the game before or after the Merktide Regent actually <laughs> had any bearing on what happened. Right. Yeah, but it, I don't know. Because of all that, I think... I will try to get a better grasp of limited. I think it will help with fundamentals. But I also think, I don't know, it's like pretty fun. I don't actively dislike limited. It's just expensive. The The deck building process of magic is what I enjoy the most. So that's usually what I spend the most time doing. Mm-hmm. And until qualifying for this tournament, no one had ever asked me to play limited in a serious way, which I feel is a failing of OP. Like, I feel like if you're going to tell me that the Pro Tour should have limited on it, that at some point prior to the Pro Tour, I should have had to win a match of Limited <laughs> to like get here. Yeah, there was there used to be. I mean, we're going back to seasons now with the Pioneer season and stuff like that for Pro Tour, for uh, RCQs. But there used to be a Limited season where everyone had to play Limited. Yeah, which I guess was for the Limited Pro Tour because that's also how it used to work, right? That well, was a long yes. time ago. Though. Oh, okay. I don't know. But that was that ended in like 2005 or yeah. something, 2006. So yeah, so, around, so whatever. It, it's funny. I, so I started playing in 2016, right? Which means anything that happened from like 1995 
to 2015 it all seems like the same amount it's the same year (laughs) i i i feel the same way too like stuff before i started like it is really tough for me to separate everything like you know antiquities to tempests like that's all like the before times to me and and they all kind of feel the same and anything that happened in that part of the (laughs) The, game's history there was no innovation there was no growth everything existed exactly the same before i showed up and then there was nuance exactly we remember the year that all the Urza's Destiny cards came out at the same time all the Mirrodin cards came out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sort of how, especially because when you look back at a lot of, when people talk about those formats, when they look back on them, they remember them. They, they, they like pick whatever set they were most engaged in in that time period and then just say that's what was happening. Like to be like, Aether Revolt was when I won my PTQ. So for that year, the format was was, was this. It was, it was this, like this three-week span is how I've contextualized like an entire year of magic. Like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> but after the limited Pro Tours all died off, they, they combined them, there was still a limited season for the, the ah, PTQs. Okay. That'd be kind of cool. And I kind of wish that they would have a more emphasis on doing limited as a season as opposed to it just being kind of auxiliary to the current season that's running. You can run either constructed or limited. The constructed has to be the, the seasonal format. It, it's funny. It's always talked about they like do these formats to sell packs. Limited sells a lot of packs. Every time you play limited, you have to like buy physically more packs. Like you can't you can't but share your limited of, packs. The number of packs opened required to like give you the cards for your constructed deck, I think just like dwarfs that but, you know, it's orders of magnitude difference. I know from a store perspective, limited tournaments are much more expensive to run. Because you do have to have the product and sell it. Oh, sure. Like, and like you have to the the, 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 P, the RCQ is already $40. So that has to be $40 plus, like, to make the same amount of money, it has to be $40 plus however much the three packs are. I have been pleasantly surprised lately. This has nothing to do with anything, but I've been pleasantly surprised lately by the number of $20 RCQs that I've played in. And I don't really understand how the stores are doing this, to be honest, but I I do appreciate it every time I play in one. Is that is that happening? That's so great. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about playing like the last season of Flesh and Blood is that all the tournaments are always 20 bucks. And it's like, wow, this is, I haven't played in a less than $50 tournament. Yeah. Back when we had like IQs and stuff, those would be 20 bucks, maybe 25. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like in 2023, you can't do anything for 20 bucks. So getting like a full day of entertainment a whole and hanging day out with your friends is like a pretty good deal. I don't know. It, it would be cool to have the RCs be split format, but I think a thousand, I think a thousand person split format tournament might be hard. I guess, it, I guess you could do day two. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're exactly right. You can't do it day one, but if it's like the first three rounds of day two is just draft once, then I think that would be really cool. And that's exactly why they did the drafts at the day two of Grand Prix, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because those actually, if you want to open packs and stamp cards you're not going to do that for an entire day one's worth of players yeah you're going to wait until it gets cut yeah also at grand prix i'm just imagining trying to like call a draft for someone who's never really played magic before which is like a lot of people playing round one at a grand prix 
They give good instructions for like calling a draft if you're just drafting. Yeah. They're like, you have this. You have to count out your cards. They say it like every time. I've heard this so many yeah. times. <laughs> you have to put you have to count out your cards and lay them out individually. You have they tell you exactly how much time per pick you get, and then they tell you when to pick their card. It's like very easy to follow. Okay. Maybe, the hard part would be actually drafting under those constraints if you've never done it before. Yeah, maybe that's the part. That, but maybe it's just all overwhelming when you're new. I think a Grand Prix is very overwhelming when you're new, just all on its own. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I mean, floor is yours. Open space. If there's anything else you've been thinking of, I, I don't have like any particular questions. This was this was really nice. We appreciated your time and everything. I don't know. I don't think I have anything else to say, really. I am very excited. It like hit me yesterday that I like playing out playing on the pro tour. Yeah. Which was just like never something I thought I'd do. Not as like a neg to myself, but just as a I played like three RCQs last year and one RC. And now I'm here. Like I just I don't know. I <laughs> a, a lot of people grind for a very long time and never get the opportunity. So I'm very grateful. I think the whole range of experience is open to me this weekend. We will see if I'm able to win matches or not. I was very stressed for a long time leading up to it. And then like a day or two ago, uh, I think when I became more confident in the limited format, I sort of reached the point where I was like, you know what? I have practiced as much as I could have reasonably expected myself to practice. I have plans that I think make sense. I'm going to go do my best. Like magic both has a lot of variants, but I also think I'm putting myself in a position a position to succeed. And whatever happens from here, like, you know, ha- happy to show up. I think, I think I'll be pretty happy regardless of what the result is. Unless I just like throw away a bunch of games. So I'm going to try not to do that. Yeah. I, I have confidence in you. You'll be all right. And it's been proven that you get luckier the harder you work. Yes, yeah, it's funny how that's that works. the best way to set yourself up to get lucky. <laughs> yeah, especially people who are like, it, it's funny when people have like a below 50% win rate and they're like, oh, there's nothing you can do. And I was like, I don't know, man. For you to have a below 50% win rate, I, I got some news doesn't, for you about the other people. Doesn't that prove something too? Yes. <laughs> some, someone else. Someone else knows something. And I think there's just like, it's it's really become clear to me in prepping for this tournament and playing against a couple people, especially uh, Lucas, who who started me on on playing this deck, he's like really good at magic, in 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 such a way where it's like my best game is like just like a game he played, a, a level of game that you'd be like talking about to people at the next tournament. Maybe. Yeah, you'd be like, I don't know, that was like round four. Now I'm gonna go play round five. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and like the, the skill ceiling is very high. It makes more sense to me now when people who are very good do like what's your rating out of 10 and they're like i've only top eight and two pro tours i'm a nine i'm like that's fucking stupid i I don't i I don't know what this graph represents but right right. it becomes meaningless at some point if everybody yeah it's i don't know maybe one to ten scales encompassing the full range of magic skill is not a productive conversation. <laughs> if it's like 10 is only Paolo and then everybody needs to like put themselves yeah, in then like, where, where's that, one? I guess, but. And I, I, I think in a way, a lot of that is comforting because like, I think I'm well prepared. I think I've done my best. I think I have a, like 
a good shot at doing well, right? I've like won a lot of matches, right? That sure. that could also happen at the Pro Tour. But if it doesn't happen, I don't think it'll feel like a failing as much as it does in some other tournaments where you like you like work really hard, but you're wrong about some stuff. And then like your opponent doesn't really know what they're doing, but they like beat you anyway. And you really, I don't, I don't know if this has ever happened to y'all, but. No, I lose matches to magic all the time. <laughs> well, I also do that, but. Yeah. <laughs> I remember very clearly losing to light pause when I had no interaction points and feeling miserable. <laughs> so yeah, this is a thing you can do in the format, huh? All right. Anyway, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at. Thank you all for having me on. It is fun talking about magic. Hopefully, I can come back on and do a victory lap or not do that. We'll see. An anti-victory lap? <laughs> I just lost a lot. Here's You're going to tell us all about the PTQ the Sunday? <laughs> I, I 05'd. I missed day two. Um, I'm here anyways. I then did a bunch of sweet drafts. That was really cool. I talked about those. That, that's the other thing. It's like the, 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 the consolation prize for losing a lot it's just like hanging out with people who I don't get to see very often. So that will also be cool. And like half the people don't make day two, something like that. Um, it's probably less than half because 4-4 four, four makes it. But, you know, like about 100 people probably don't make day two. So, you know, be in good company. Yeah, you're also, you know, in Philadelphia, right next to Reading Terminal Market. You're not stuck in a casino, in the basement of a casino. No, no, no. What I'll have to go outside. I'm, I'm, I'm a true gamer. I'm, I'm a professional gamer now. Um, so the only thing we ever see the inside of is the hotel and the convention. Exactly. Center, we, we have to close our eyes when we walk to the car to make sure we don't accidentally see too much outside. <laughs> well, Nick, I hope you have a great time. I hope you do well. I hope we get to see you on coverage some. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Probably not. I'm not very famous. Well, make top eight. That's true. All right. You could also just play against someone famous. Yeah. I, I guess I could do that. All right, that's the plan. Play against someone famous, be on TV. Try not to screw it up. We'll be cheering for you. And I will be uh, trying to figure out which emoji we span to uh, cheer you on. I'll, I'll have to come up with something. It's nice to come up with something clever that really like rhymes with the full name. So that, that one mm. is a little tough to work up, but we'll, we'll figure something out. But you also have to find an emoji that exists. So yeah. There's a finite number of things. The, yes, the, there are a lot of them, though. They're expanding all the time. Well, it's got to be on Twitter. It's got to be Twitter tweetable. Mm. That's all right. I'm hard at work. All right, sounds good. Oh, good. All right, talk to you later. Yep, thanks. See you later. Everybody who's been listening, thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. Thanks, watchers. Bye. <laughs>